0: Welcome to the C3 podcast. If you've been listening, you remember that my name is Nathan. And my name is Derek. Derek, as a pastor, I'm sure that you have probably encountered some language like this, but something that says, God has a plan for your life. Have you ever said that before? I have said that. Would it be fair to say that people who run churches have agendas for the people's lives of whom come to the congregation. Oh boy. That,
1: that sounds like a loaded question right there. Do I have agendas for people's lives? Okay, so no.
0: I I honestly think that the answer is yes. Uh-oh. I don't think that I don't think that it's held over someone's head or if this is something that's uh, obligatory, but uh-huh. I do think that you have an idea, at least in a, a disembodied sense, okay. of the way in which someone should live their life, sure. especially someone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. Sure, of course, because Scripture tells us.
1: How a life should look if we are a follower of Christ. So, yes, from that standpoint, absolutely. Yeah,
0: I don't think it's Derek specifically, but I, think I, I don't it's have the a commun-
1: to-do list for every single person in our church of what I'd like them to do for me. I guess so I just want I don't to have see you squirm. Him, that's but all. Yeah, it was. you got there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can, uh, you know, when you invoke anything transcendent like God, you know, He's right. outside of space and time. I'll let you stop drooling right now. It's yes. okay. Transcendent. It's we're gonna we're gonna figure this out. Okay. Um. It can be really scary to hear something like God has a plan for your life, and yeah. and in my life, I've seen the way that people can misuse that um, that language yeah. to exert power over another person. So when you say God has a plan for your life, in the general sense, what are you saying to anyone that is walking down the street that you may run into? Sure. You know, I, I, I look at, you know, in, in very simple terms,
1: as followers of Christ, we are called to carry our cross, to love each other, and to live out our faith. Um, so in, in very just simple terms, without getting deeply theological about it, without um, overcomplicating it, we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to, to follow his example and try to die to ourselves each day and do a little bit better of becoming more like Him each and every day.
0: A couple weeks ago, we had a... The scripture verse of the week was Micah 6.8, and it's, what does the Lord require of you but to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I would say that that is the plan of God for every single person. It doesn't matter whether you are a multi-million dollar executive or if you have uh, work as a public employee. Right. You're called to to seek out justice within your context. You're called to to love mercy and to show it to those around you. And you're called to walk humbly with God. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, we've we've talked about that being a transformative reality rather than just oh, I have prayed this prayer. Now I have you know fire insurance. Right. right? It's something right. that we. Conform to the likeness of Christ. We're yeah. supposed to be imitators of Him. Now, this is where I think it gets kind of fuzzy because uh-huh. I do think that some people are have, are called into yeah. um, ministering to others sure. vocationally. So, how would you go about clarifying the difference between the mission for everyone, yeah. like Micah six eight, and for those who are called to to equip the saints in the words of Ephesians? Right.
1: Sure. You know, I think that you know. You mentioned that word "called," and I think that word has so much baggage to it because of, like you yeah. talked about, the manipulation that's happened in the past from certain people in in power. I'm not talking about here at Celebration, but just in, in general yeah. within the church and and globally. Um, and you know, so everybody has an occupation, and we tend to think that you know, called is what it means. What am I going to do for my job? Um, and and it's it's so much more broad than that. But there are specific people who who are called to to ministry to a career of of doing this or called to missions and and things like that and and i think that um what we see in that is is we see in scripture you know we're told that certain people will be given these these gifts to be preachers to be teachers to be and these these different people within the body of christ Um, and and for me i can i can speak specifically for me I knew there was nothing else I could do, and and that was the that was the thing that was thrown to me by Pastor Brandt and Pastor Kyle at the time when I said, "Hey, I think I'm supposed to go into ministry." They said, "If you can do anything else, do it," right? Um, right? Which seems like a really negative response to saying, "Hey, yeah. I think I want to dedicate my life to this." And right. it's like, yeah, but if you can do anything else, go do that. But yeah. but that was a powerful thing for me because what it was saying was. If you're not actually called to this, and this isn't what God's calling you to do, it's not going to. It's not going to be the right fit. And and so, you know, not that that makes me any more special than anyone else, because that was the calling I had. To me, it's a humbling of myself. If there's a lot of things that, to be quite honest, I could do that would be simpler and easier. And to be, to be very blunt and honest, probably more lucrative for, for me from a financial st- standpoint that, that I just would not be fulfilled in. And so for me, that's, that's where I'm at. But I think there's, there's people who are, who are given this responsibility by, by God to be in the secular realm and spread their faith. Who, could do, who can do such a better job of spreading their faith in the secular realm than I could? And so this is just the 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 area that that he's chosen to to put me. Um, and so you know, I, I think that is you know I know that's a churchy term being called, and I think there is a lot that gets skewed about that, or or put into this kind of hierarchy of how important certain people are. Um, hear it you hear it from me right now, church. I am not any more important. Pastor Brandt is not any more important. No staff members are any more important. Than anyone else in our community, in our church, in our in our world, um, we're all we all have the responsibility as followers.
0: Yeah, a couple of just points that I want to to kind of mention, piggybacking yeah. off of what you said, and the first of, of which is there's a fine line between realism and pessimism. Yeah, ministry is a place where you have to be okay with pouring yourself out and receiving nothing in return. And that can be yeah. really, really difficult emotionally to be able to do. So, so one, I think that some people just have a little more tolerance for that—that yeah. self-giving—and hopefully that's that's equipped by God. Um, regardless of context, we're called to be self-giving, though. So this isn't something that is reserved exclusively for for those who are are ministers of the gospel, because, you yeah. know, Pastor Kyle used to say, do I have any ministers in the room? I, obviously, yeah, this yeah, is an I audio podcast, hands. so I'm, here I am shaking my hand about. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> And the, the final thing I wanted to mention is just that that, that ministry may not mean vocational that we are to do, that God has prepared in advance for us to do, but there have to be those who are willing to equip the saints. Who are the saints? It's everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord and and is saved. So if we reframe it in that context, perhaps the call is of not pursuing other success, um, but rather pursuing God's plan to aid other people to pursue that success for the sake of the gospel. And we're about to talk to uh, Patrick on on this podcast, and Patrick is, number one, probably the most positive staff member that I have ever seen. You cannot get (laughs) that dude down. Um, But he's also the most Texan staff member, Um, so we'll apologize in advance for that. Or you're welcome for those of you who are big fans of Texas. Uh, But enjoy uh, this story uh, of Patrick. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning. How are you doing this morning?
2: I'm doing well. How are you guys? I'm
0: doing very well. Good. I have one question for you that will uh, quickly spiral down there, downward into a series of other questions. Okay. Okay. The first thing is, is everything actually bigger in Texas?
2: This is factual. It is true.
0: Can you support that with evidence?
2: From food to entertainment to... The size of the state. Really, yeah. I mean... Geographically, I mean the state is massive, but I mean everything. Mainly, when you talk about the phrase, it's from the food to the entertainment to anything that you do is going to be ten times bigger, mm-hmm. is what they shoot for.
0: I've been to a Bucky's in Fort Worth one time, and that was all the confirmation that I needed that everything was indeed bigger in Texas. If you listeners could have just seen Patrick's
1: eyes when Nathan mentioned Bucky's. Man, that's the downside of an audio podcast—is you cannot see the facial reactions
0: <laughs> when someone says Bucky's. He's lit up like a kid on Christmas <laughs> morning. Right.
2: We could spend an entire podcast on just Bucky's. Your love, love Bucky's. of Bucky's, yes, uh, Bucky's
0: Bucky's is a cool deal.
2: Yeah, they they have like this certain like you know here in in Hayes we have the the pop it popcorn, but they have something called like Bucky's Nuggets or something. Mm-hmm. And you could eat an entire bag of those things in like an hour. And it's just – it's what my dad would say. It's just like a sugar rush on steroids just because you crave it and it's so good. And that like if you were on a trip for youth camp – you would definitely recommend that students not partake in this.
1: Sure. So that that appears to be your favorite item at Bucky's, but for those who don't know what Bucky's is, as passionately as you possibly oh. can, explain what Bucky's
2: is. Okay, well, this is my sales pitch if we're talking about <laughs> Bucky's. Yes. As consumers in the US economy, we often get frustrated with Sitting in line to pump our gas or going into a gas station and seeing just the normal items of every day, where it's like, oh, this is just a bad experience just because everything seems to be out and laid out since 8 a.m. this morning and it's seven o'clock at night. Well, they came out with a fantastic idea to put a Bucky's out. And so Bucky's is being publicized at least. Five to six hundred miles before you get to the location. <laughs> so if you are in the trucking industry, please listen. This is where you want to stop. This is the prime time Super Bowl of gas station convenience stores because there are literally about a hundred stalls of pumps for gas, not just for regular everyday vehicles, but for 18-wheeler diesel vehicles. So you should never have to wait to pump your gas. That's the first reason. Mm -hmm. Second reason, you go in, it's not just Funyuns and Cheetos. They have an array, an abundance, diversity of food that they have made.
0: The only thing I could describe it as is like a beef jerky buffet, you know?
2: Right, and they have intentionally took time and effort creating optimal products. So
1: if there's anyone from from corporate at Bucky's listening, we are accepting sponsors. If you're looking for a church podcast, a sponsor, I think you just, you have your
0: spokesman <laughs> right here. I will. Can I'll, you imagine that? Other like <laughs> church podcasts are typically sponsored by like their, their leadership networks. Christ. Nope, absolutely <laughs> not. We're sponsored by <laughs> Bucky's. <laughs> I think it honestly Patrick's dream come true. That,
2: that that honestly made my heart jump just a little bit. <laughs> if we could
0: get sponsored because. by Bucky's and Carhartt, there would be no other. Point there we go. In even producing another episode that's that right. didn't sponsor them entirely, right? The way that I would describe Bucky's for the the listeners who've never experienced that that good, sweet sweet goodness would be a grocery store sized gas store.
2: Okay, that's a pretty I mean, fair. That analysis, honestly,
0: it's probably the Bucky's in Fort Worth, like right off the speedway, is bigger than Little Dylan's. Right. And it's all your favorite little, like, rolling uh, tostado hot dog things. Uh, Man.
2: Have you heard the expression Bucky's is like the Walmart of gas stations?
0: I haven't heard it, but I can understand why people would say that. Yeah. And that's a that's another good thing we can segue off of because you're from a, a town called Tex Arcana, right. which is a very clever and very southern way to say you know what I'm right on the border of Texas and Arkansas. I have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> I know right what there. we could call it. What should what should we name this? Location? We don't
2: get real creative when it comes to naming our towns in Texas. Hey, you
0: know what? That is okay. You know, in Kentucky, there's a lot of places that just add Ville to the the end of who's like discovered it.
2: I didn't so, even think about that. Yeah. We we it's did
1: just, that in uh it, there's a the Kansas Colorado border. Uh what's the name of the town? Colorado. canorado, canorado. Yeah, yeah,
0: see? We did the same thing. Exit 1. Right. Actually, right. you get off at exit 3, but it's okay. Yeah, okay. Technicalities. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's not really on the border. Last question, and this is pulling on your your Texas expertise. It's not making fun. Don't yeah. worry. All this is in good fun because you can stereotype any location in the world. Right. Um, what is the correct way to eat barbecue?
2: Oh. Anyway. <laughs> I actually just started watching a show on Netflix about barbecue, and they're one of the prime locations in the country is in Texas. I think it's, like, north of Austin, mm-hmm. but it's uh, with this lady who has been barbecuing for, like, 30 or 40 years. It's a great story about how her and her husband had kind of taken this on and then he passed away sadly. And and she just, this was her way of just continuing on without him. And people come over from all over the country, just not in the state to to try the barbecue. And it's only open on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. So people will line up starting at like 5 or 6 in the morning. And there's a huge line of people. Just it looks like it's in a pasture type thing, like a barn, a house, and then this restaurant. And so it was just a cool story um, on Netflix. But as far as barbecue, I just I'm not an expert as far as saying hey, this is the right way to do it. You
1: have had Texas barbecue and Kansas City barbecue, though I'm assuming right. So I, tend, I know you can't go against Texas. So that would be probably sacrilegious. But but what are your thoughts?
2: I, I tend to prefer more the the Kansas City barbecue okay. just because I like more of the the sweet, sweetness. This in yeah. the, Texas barbecue is really smoky and yeah. dry. Um, they they definitely put a lot of emphasis on more of the texture. The dry rub yeah. of, of the of the meat rather than seeking for it to be like um, mouth-watering and um, juicy. So it's just a different flavor, I guess. But I I really, I really sadly didn't experience a whole lot of just true barbecue. You would have different barbecue restaurants that were chains. But overall, um, yeah, I would definitely go more with the the Kansas-style barbecue than Texas smoked
1: good sure. choice good choice
0: Nathan agrees I agree <laughs> yeah Oklahoma I here's why I like Kansas City barbecues because Oklahoma Joe's or it's Casey Joe's now right. it used to be Oklahoma Joe's actually has a vegan barbecue sandwich and really? of the things that I miss about eating meat barbecue is probably the pinnacle of those yeah. so this is a way for me to be like okay I can still eat barbecue. There you go. So, Perfect. Very, very cool.
2: What for me. was your go-to for barbecue? Like when you were doing meat, like
0: burnt rib or burnt ends, yeah. not burnt ribs, burnt ends. Okay. All right. So, Patrick, right? You started as a young Texan in Texarkana. I mean, do you can you call it Texarkana, Texas or Texarkana, Arkansas? Or
2: lived on the Texas side. Okay. to, church, to Texarkana in the Arkansas side, so.
0: Very good. And yep. your dad was a youth pastor. Talk about a little bit of of what it was like growing up in Texarkana.
2: Okay. Well, definitely growing up not only in Texarkana, but being being the son of a youth pastor, you were always surrounded by older kids. Um, just the culture, the environment, students were always Coming through our house on the weekends, because this was back before um, technology, cell phones, things like that, students were always out in the city, and so um, a lot of the culture down there truly was community with with people from your church, especially students that were seeking to be Christ-like. We always would have students coming through our house, having pizza, watching movies, So my brother and I were were always surrounded by students that were older than us that would always babysit us, hang out with us, take us to wherever they were going when they were going to events. So um, it was definitely something that from an early age, I could see more of the emphasis on ministry from my dad's perspective of seeing how it balances with family Mm -hmm. to see how he cared for these students and how... um, how their their lives um, unfortunately weren't always as as great as what I was blessed to have growing up yeah. um you know they had their issues they had their moments that they were at rock bottom and and we would have to leave the room so he could have those conversations with them and and encourage them and, and, and comfort them but just seeing um, his example by his leadership and how he how he truly led um, was inspiring and just uh, something that I really respected from an early age.
0: What's one thing that you've seen your dad do or that that you just appreciate about his character that you've tried to repeat as a youth pastor yourself?
2: Definitely the fact that um, his leadership was always about empowering and equipping the students to lead. It wasn't about him being center stage. It wasn't about, hey, look, I'm the youth pastor. It's all about me. It was, hey, how can we equip and be intentional with these students to give them the platform to share their stories, to see what God is doing in their life, because this is for them and it's about them. So let's equip them to share, to, to, to truly be ministry minded in how they live their life. Yeah. And so it's always students leading students is the simplest form of that.
0: I definitely from from the time that I've spent around the the youth ministry can see that you have definitely embodied that practice that your dad had as well. Something that most church members probably already know about you is that you drum, but they didn't know that you were actually a touring musician. So right. kind of talk about how that happened and some of the challenges of being like a touring Christian musician,
2: definitely. Um, well, growing up, I the first band I, I saw was Petra, and saw saw their drummer have a big white drum um, drum set. Um, the shells were all white, big cymbals hanging from everywhere, and I was like, "Oh, I want that so bad!" <laughs> and so I just remember praying for a year when I was six um, for... God, give me a white drum set. Just a drum set in general that wasn't Walmart made. <laughs> and so I was like, God, I just want a real drum set, please. And I remember mom saying like, well, I don't know if Santa Claus is going to bring it, but hey, you keep praying. And, and what ended up happening in the process was a student from their youth group had actually had like this ugly puke green drum set that was yes. that was relatively new, but he wasn't using it anymore. And so they actually had gotten it a couple of weeks before Christmas. And so that was actually a Christmas present that they told me came from somebody and was able to, to be blessed in that. And so I just remember playing and, and then just kind of, you know, you're playing sports as well. And so I kind of set it off to the side, but in – youth ministry, there's so many platforms to serve. And so a bunch of my friends were like, hey, let's start a band. So I started playing drums, and I was like, this is difficult. But I remember I would always want to learn a song, and I couldn't read music, so I would want to listen and copy it beat for beat. So until I mirrored it where I was playing the exact same thing, I wouldn't stop. So I always found that interesting that that was one area that I would always want to persevere and, and overcome. Well, I go through my high school time in ministry, and, and that's something that that I was like, hey, I enjoy doing this. I love this. I feel like God has given me a gift in this, but I don't know what to do with this. And so I graduate, and um, the worship leader at the time, he had started a, a worship band that was actually traveling around regionally, and he was like, hey, we would love to have you, our drummer, just moved to Ohio So I I remember going and just playing and not even, I hadn't played in probably a month or two after graduating. And so what ended up happening, he just told me, he said, ma'am, he said, thanks for trying out. But he's like, I just don't think you have what it takes right now. And I just remember feeling crushed. I was like, bro, we served together on the worship (laughs) team. Like we've, we've been jamming. Like, what do you mean I don't have what it takes? But I remember in my car feeling frustrated that I didn't do as well as I thought I did. And and just realizing, coming to an understanding of, hey, you're either gonna go in a hundred percent and do better if and 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 kind of take this as motivation, or you're just gonna say, All right, I don't care. So I remember that was a defining moment of true honesty and accountability that helped push me deeper into Playing drums,
1: so that was that was your Michael Jordan moment, right? Right, Jordan gets cut from the basketball team his freshman year of high school. So then he ends up creating this career of just being no one's ever going to be better than him, and he right. just think that's what you did with the drums. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you are the MJ of drums. Stop, stop. I didn't
2: say <laughs> the, that. But, the goat, but it was it was similar because it was it was defining in my yeah. life because I never had somebody be truly honest and say, hey you you're you have talent and you're good but it's just it's not fitting sure and so having someone be transparent like that and honest enough to say hey if you worked at it if you if you were disciplined enough and practiced like you have potential yeah. so having that was motivation for me and I would go up to the church which was a blessing because my dad was a youth pastor I could go up after work and and I would just practice for hours, yeah. just being myself and my headphones. And so I remember coming back like a month later saying, hey, have y'all found anybody? And he said, no, not yet. I said, I'd like to try out again. And so it ended, it ended up working out. Mm. And so from there, it just constantly pushed me to use my free time for that. So out of that, my dad and I had this conversation about a year or two later because I was playing regionally, I was playing these D now weekends camps and I was just feeling lost. I was feeling like is this gonna go anywhere? my dad kind of had this honest conversation like, hey, I know this is fun for you and I know that that you're that you're definitely blessed in it to do this as a ministry opportunity but do you really see your career like do you really see that you can make a life of this because if not it's probably time to move on and that, and that was hard to hear. I was like, "Dad, you don't support me. You don't do this." But he was just he was honestly just trying to say, "Hey, it's a, it's a fun dream, but it's 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 sometimes even more a harsher reality to do that." And so I just remember feeling angry, but really trying to to be vulnerable and honest at the same time saying, "Well, is this right for me? Is this what I'm called to do?" And so I decided that I was going to take t- about a week or two, and a friend of mine at the time, we, we decided we were going to pray and fast. This was in January of, I believe, 2010. No, it was 2009. We we had talked, and, and he said, hey, I've got some things going on in my life, and so we, we just really felt convicted and just wanted to, to do um, a fast and pray time. So we went to work. We, he had a cabin out in the woods behind his parents' house. He lived in um, Genoa, Arkansas, which is about 20 miles outside of Texarkana. But tall tall trees, really isolated, really, really a fun place to play music. We spent that time praying and fasting and playing music and worshiping. And at the end of the week, I, just, I still felt like, man, I just don't know if I can give this up. I said, God, just give me some direction. And my cousin, who was living in Nashville at the time, called me up and said, Hey, man, I know we don't talk much. And this guy never answers his phone call. He's always in a writing session, always doing something. He said, God has put you on my heart for the past three days and has woken me up every night telling me to call you. And I can't I can't ignore it any longer. You need to come see me in Nashville. And so what transpired is he... he he and I had a conversation. I went to Nashville. He said, man, this is your time to move here. You're not married. You don't have any obligations that are tying you long-term to Texarkana. He said, man, if this is the time, if, if there ever was a time, this is the time for you to move and give it a shot. So moved to Nashville, and he, he was brutally honest. He said, hey, it's about building connections, relationships. People have been here 10-plus years. So don't get frustrated. So I was just trying to find find my place and, and find a way to to make it and so I was looking for jobs and, and everyone was falling short. every every job opportunity was just falling through the cracks and I was like, man I can't even find a way to make money. I was living in their in, in their spare room at the time and I was like, man, I just don't want to sit sit back and not do anything. So I was trying to find a job going to a church, and the pastor of the church actually said, Hey, man, about three months in, he said, Hey, there's a there's a guy on tour right now um, named Corey Lamb um, that had just fired his band.
1: Okay, hang on. We got to stop your story for a second because we, we need to let the other side of this story be told as well. This is this is crazy, and as uh, Pastor Brant and I were talking and getting to know Patrick, we we figured out this story. So Corey Lamb ends up being the first act in Nashville that, that Patrick drums for because he had to fire his band. He fired his band right after he did a show here in Hayes at Celebration Community Church. I was the youth pastor at the time and had brought in, um, it was on a Wednesday night, we brought in a couple of bands, and Corey was the opener, and then I think there were two bands after him. Um, So Corey played a couple songs, and you could just kind of tell there was a disconnect between Corey and his band. And um, afterwards, after he had played, um, he was talking with Brant and I, and he really was just kind of discouraged. And, you know, Brant and I could kind of sense that and tell that. And so... We're like, you know, hey, what's going on, man? Like life on the road, is that pretty hard? You know, this stuff. And he said, Well, he goes, My record label just just put me with this band out of these guys out of California. He was a solo musician that they were putting a band with. And he said, He goes, We just have nothing in common. He goes, They're not believers, they're not um following the same thing. He goes, They play my show and then they just go out on the town and and, you know, do do a bunch of things that, that don't line up with what I'm singing about and trying to to spread through my music and he goes i'm just really struggling with that and you know and so we we spent some time talking to him encouraging him and and saying you know you got to do whatever god's calling you to do and then he left Hayes, and we never knew what happened until we met patrick and we find out right after that he had told his label he wasn't going to play anymore if we had to play with those guys they fired him and then patrick then the story becomes yours
2: right he had he'd reached out to to the pastor of the church I was going to and said, Hey man, I just fired my band. Um, they just like like Pastor Derek was saying, they just weren't living with what I was trying to to put out there for for accountability reasons and community reasons and I just wanted to see if you would be interested in helping me put a band together from Nashville. So went to this tryout. Um Got the call back uh, to come back for a final audition, and we just hit it off because where he was actually from was Little Rock, Arkansas, which is about two hours up the road. So we had a lot in common as far as um, the way that we, we thought about things and, and interest um, in music, sports, life. Um, so it was also a good hangout. Really, the band that was put together just really flowed well, and so spent some time with Corey for for two years. Um we had played and opened for bands like Seventh Day Slumber, Sanctus Real, and a few others that that were on these big um tour fests like Family Force Five, Disciple, and so yeah,
0: this is like my Christian adolescence. Yeah, like 100%. Yeah. <laughs> family Force. <friends. laughs> yeah. And it, <laughs> it was
2: tough. it was crazy because I never I never in a million never in a million years thought I would have that opportunity and platform to to play with those guys and yeah. and be a part of it. But you definitely see a different side of of the worship Christian industry. Sure. Um mm-hmm. spending time with those people and truly are real authentic people. And, and honestly, they, they would be the first to say like the reality of it is difficult and there are hard times of being away from family. And there are times where even like right now where you're not able to tour, um, that you truly have to rely on your faith and just trust in God to provide for these times where you're not able to go out on the road and, and play, played with Corey for two years. Um, was blessed to be able to do that. Um, rode on a tour bus. I, I really that was like the pinnacle of it. Like when you were not having to drive in a stinky van, there you go, and be cooped up, you could go lay in a bunk. Yeah. That was pivotal. And then, um, he ended up stopping, um, just because him and his wife um, had a kid. and He was going more towards um, wanting to stay home. Um, A band by the name of Bretta Stone out of Iowa called me for a tryout that we had actually met on tour probably a year and a half prior and was blessed to be able to do uh, ministry, drumming with them for about a year, year and a half. And then, yeah, and then that was kind of where where stuff began to change. Yeah.
0: So – what was the the transition out of music and into youth ministry?
2: This this is part of the biggest part of my testimony that I, I truly will never forget because we had come back from a a mission trip type um, thing um, with Bread of Stone, the band that that I was with at the time. They are from Indonesia. And so we had the opportunity to go um, to Indonesia in November of 2012, I believe, and go do some service projects. And they had a project they had going on in Indonesia that really helped with the homeless providing a means of income. You can actually make what a regular um, middle-class income is in America, you can make that in Indonesia— on the streets begging for money. Wow. The government actually has to put a limitation on how much you 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 uh beg and barter for because wow. they they will have people come in um that are like um mob bosses who will try to take a cut in percentage if the government doesn't do that. And um this is and this is speaking to the big areas of Indonesia, um Bandung, um Jakarta and Bali, which would resemble like Los Angeles, New York, Houston. Right, right. cultural so, centers. Yeah, that was really in- interesting to hear, though, that this was a means of income and and a job was was begging. And so they were trying to provide a different way for, for people to make money and, and do it the right way. We went to um, Bondoon is where we stayed um, a lot of our time, and – they had family there and did ministry in the surrounding areas. And that was the first time I really encountered a lot of things um, of of knowing the reality of being a Christian in, in a predominantly non-Christian country. Mm-hmm. Um, they had had a big spiritual civil war back in the 90s between Christianity and Muslims. Mm-hmm. And um, just really was a bad time for um, for trying to be Christ-like in those areas because they were being killed for their faith mm-hmm. and hearing some of their stories from the band's family and friends that were there just they were actually living together in houses like modern day disciples they weren't going off into different homes they were they were staying together because they had been, Abandoned by their family and friends Mm. and seeing that truly they were, they were, had died to the world and truly were, were free and happy in Christ. This was all that they had, but they didn't regret it. And they didn't, they wouldn't take it back for anything. And seeing that I couldn't honestly say at the time that I was that secure with Christ. Mm. And I really felt a burden on my heart, like why why do I take these things for granted? And just throughout the time, I was wrestling with these things. So we get back from Indonesia and we go home for for Christmas holiday all all of December. And I remember coming back the first of January and just was not feeling it. I was feeling like this is this is pointless. I'm not supposed to be here. And I remember the the guys asked me to go pick up one of the the sound guys from the airport and this was on January 1st. They said, "Do you mind go picking him up?" And I said, "No, that's fine." And I I got on the the main interstate and just immediately just felt convicted and just felt like a wave of a burden on my heart where honestly it felt like I just had to pull over to the side of the road because I was I was so weighed down by regret and my sin and just I felt super convicted and torn and broken and defeated and I just pulled over and I just began just confessing all my sins and just naming what seemed like for forever and just in the midst of that I just felt the the Holy Spirit convict me and just say stop this is why Jesus died. You, you're looking at it as you have to prove your worth. He already knows what you're worth. He already did everything. Mm, and good. so in that moment, I just, I realized the question was, was I going to continue to try and be in control or was I going to give it to him? Am I going to keep taking back the things I'm surrendering or am I going to truly let them loose? And For the first time, I I truly was just like, God, I don't have it all together. I, I know your word, but I don't know you like I want to. And in that moment, I just surrendered my life to Christ and felt free from that burden of sin, felt freedom from the past and the regret that I had and didn't feel like I was having to tipped the scales of good and bad. Right. It was truly like, okay, I now see that living for Christ and 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 for everything that he's done is is not about what I can do for him, but what he's done for me. Mm-hmm. And seeing the grace and the mercy that he had in spite of all the times that I I I was walking away or pushing him away or saying, I got this. In that moment of surrender things things changed things transformed because I I actually got baptized by two of the brothers that were in the band their dad just a great great mentor um for me in that year leading up to me giving my life to Christ baptized me in their bathtub yeah <laughs> and it was it was something that was just like it was January it was cold but it was just something that I was just like I can't wait like I want and know that this is a, a big mile marker for, for a new life.
0: Those are always some of my favorite stories to hear yeah. of the moment of saying, "I, I don't care how it looks, yeah. I want to get baptized," right. and I, you know. That's a that's a good story that I'm gonna hold on to. There's a guy who came to encounter a couple of years ago. His name was Tommy Green, and he was a, a hardcore um, vocalist. and And he would go to like South America, and after the shows, they would be like baptizing people in garbage cans, right? Like, and and then Pastor Kyle, who is the the founding pastor of of C3, had has always shared with me this photo of um baptizing a former convict in a hotel swimming pool. Yeah. And those are just little moments of faith where it's just like, man, that was real. That was real to them at that point in time. And you can't take that from them. It didn't right. have to be this perfectly manicured moment where you had the baptistry and everyone was watching you. You just got in a bathtub. Right. Right. Or you you just go hey we're at a hotel, there's a swimming pool right here. Hey, we can fill up a garbage can with water. I mean, that is just like totally an act of faith. Yeah devoid of how it looks to other people. So that's cool.
2: Right. Yeah, I, I kind of had to hang my my legs out, out the bathtub. <laughs> so it was like a sliding So technique. it wasn't
0: quite immersion baptism. <laughs> it but, was, okay. the,
2: the head had to fully go <laughs> under. So, so like the, I,
0: one of the very first slide immersion <laughs> right. baptisms. That's right. good.
2: <laughs> just kind of like just buttered me up and just You,
0: <laughs> you know there's going to be a mega church somewhere that does water slide baptism. Oh, 100%. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean.
2: Right and and after after that that moment of of true surrender and just yeah. like okay this is this is new this is fresh and diving into God's word about a week later i just felt this huge burden on my heart and it wasn't it wasn't one that was of fear or of a frustration it was just like man i'm just feeling this this burden, and I, I don't know what it's for, and I, I don't know what it's about, and talked to some some friends, talked to the band about it, said, man, I just feel this heaviness on my heart. And we had gone to play a show, I think, in Arizona. It was just kind of like a, a weekend where something similar to here, like Yoko, yeah. like they had different church youth groups come and. I remember looking out and just seeing, first and foremost, that it was predominantly female. There were not a lot of youth boys that were there. And secondly, how each youth group, just from hearing from them, had just seen a rapid decline in their student ministry. And this, this was the first time that it really hit me because— If I'm going back, being in youth ministry and seeing my dad, I'm like, man, I can't do that. I just, I would stutter a lot. I I I would just allow my words to be fumbled. I couldn't generate clear thought. I was just, I was like, this is not for me. Like, I was comfortable doing music. Doing ministry was a whole different story. It was uncomfortable. It was foreign to me. I was like, I can't do student ministry but coming back from that trip i knew that why i was feeling so disconnected what god was actually preparing me for was to say yes to something uncomfortable
0: mm-hmm. yeah
2: and something that was out of my elements something that i had personally written off as not not ever going to happen and saying yes to that saying saying finally to the band hey I don't know why why this is happening, but I know for a shadow of a doubt that God is calling me into ministry, into student ministry, and he's calling me to lead the band. And there was a tough conversation to have, but in having it, the burden instantly went away. And it wasn't something that—I I don't get caught up in feelings, but it was affirmation for me right. because I'd been wrestling with what it was that after making that decision and, and saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to follow you, this is part of being obedient. This is part of what I was needing in my life was to be able to to follow your, your lead, to surrender control in saying yes to that and saying yes to something unknown and foreign, to saying yes to something out of my comfort zone. He provided what only he could. And so leaving that was... The, a difficult choice. My parents asked me. They said, "Are you sure? Like, are you positive? Because you may not get this opportunity again. Yeah. You may not get this platform again to play music in that in that regard. Right. And it was something that I knew, like full full steam ahead. Like, yeah.
1: I, I love I love this Patrick because when you were beginning the career of music or thinking about that. I love that, like, your, your, your dad's asking the question of, like, are you sure? Are you sure that's what God's wanting you to do? And then when you're getting out of music, are you sure? Are you sure that's what did? Like, that's such a great thing. One of the things I was told by Pastor Brant when I was like, I think I'm supposed to be in ministry was, you know, and, and Pastor Kyle as well, are, are very, have said this to many staff members, like, if there's anything else you can do, go do that. Right, which seems like a very discouraging thing at first glance. But what's that mean? Like there's gonna be times where this is gonna be difficult. And if it's not the calling, if it's not what God is calling you to do, then it's right, all right. So make sure this is what God's saying. And so that's what I see in what your parents provided for you in both of those instances. Is is not a not a doubt in your abilities, not a doubt in what you're thinking, but a you know confirm that this is what God's calling you to do right and and that that's that spiritual support that I
0: think is so important in previous conversations that we've had, you mentioned that you did some classes and I believe you've got a certificate from eternity Bible college right um talk about how that has kind of helped you uh helped prepare you for student ministry
2: yeah with with taking classes from eternity um it was it was founded by Francis Chan, right, and a bunch of other people who wanted to provide quality um, education for people that had said yes in ministry, but not leave them with a substantial debt, right. like what you would find in other um, big universities or seminaries. And so um, they started this college and and. They are they are now accredited um, as well, but the one thing that I loved is the intentional, authentic feel of even from a distance education, you were provided every opportunity to, to connect and get a quality um, experience with what ministry looks like from people that are actually doing it, and so for me. Starting from from ground zero, I'd seen what Dad had done and been around it, but never really know, never really knew what it actually took to be in ministry. And I think the one one of the things to start off with being um, being in the in the education system for for ministry was the fact that if it wasn't something that God was calling you to, it was something that you were going to feel really out of place and really fast because a lot of it had to do with, in the beginning, centered around the uncomfort of ministry. It really challenged you to to get outside of, okay, we know that you know the Bible. We know you know the books of the Bible, but what does it look like to to handle situations that make you uncomfortable? Right. What does it look like to to comfort a kid who 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 lost a parent and is saying, "Where? Why did Jesus let this happen?" Right. You know it, it it gave you it gave you real life experience with stuff that was happening, and and really helped you. It really helped shape you into what ministry was actually going to look like when given that opportunity and so um the biggest thing for me was just the old testament new testament surveys um really understanding the importance of and 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 I think from conversations that we've had both Derek and, and Nathan um just about the reality of of what the bible and and, and the stories that they tell in the timing that they were, in the culture that it was, seeing the realness of what was actually going on at the time and knowing that it wasn't just Jesus with a halo and fluttering birds walking and singing and people knowing, hey, Jesus is right there because he's glowing. (laughs) But seeing that this truly was more than just a story, and my dad put it this way, you look at the Bible and you say history, but it's more his story that becomes our story that impacts the people around us. Great. Because his story should affect and should impact and should influence our story if we are believers to make a difference in somebody else's life. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think that to get a bit theological right now, that the incarnation is a really good thing to think about. Not only in the Bible we see the the incarnation of God, of God in in flesh, right? Of coming down into our situation, which is one of of dirtiness, right? Right. It's not the glowing Jesus, but it's the Jesus that's born in a, a stable right. in a in a a barn, right? Right. And then. Through the interaction with, with his story, it, it then provides an opportunity for God in a... I don't think that that's a perfectly manicured thing, as well. I can imagine that, that God has some distasteful consequences for choosing a relationship with me in particular. It's just, it's always refreshing to hear that, that God is willing to insert himself into that story.
2: Right, yeah, and and as far as the education side of it goes, I mean, there were there were little moments here and there, but it was more about the time with the teachers through through video learning, where they really took the time not to just talk at you, but talk with you, yeah. Yeah. and that truly truly helped bring me back to like, okay, ministry is is not just fun and games and and like. Throwing slime on students and getting <laughs> pied in the face. I mean, but, that's a
1: big part of it. Yeah, it's, I not, mean, it's not all,
2: <laughs> but it's it's something that is gonna it's gonna truly it's it's truly gonna challenge and 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 really test not just you as a person, but it's gonna be a part of your life where it impacts your family, and that's where I start reverting back to. Okay, well now I see. What, why my family life was like this? Sure, because we didn't take we didn't take vacations growing up. Our vacation was summer camp. Sure, mm-hmm. and so I, I look back at these things and, and think, well, man, I didn't have what this happened, but 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 I had this, sure. and I had these moments, and I and it wasn't till going to Eternity Bible College that I was like, man, this really helps me understand why not only this happened in the past, but it prepared me for when I got married, for what I wanted my family life to be like, how to balance that, how to understand more of the family aspect of it as where, as well as the ministry aspect. Sure. And so seeing how all of it flowed together um, just really, really um, pushed my personal um, hopes for, for ministry further. And, and, and eliminated some fears. Yeah.
0: So let's kind of fast forward, you know, to, to today. And now through a series of what I would call very fortunate events, um, you are employed at Celebration and have been since January. What's kind of your philosophy for, for youth ministry?
2: Definitely. Um, I, I followed Doug Fields, um, discovering youth ministry and, For me, again, students leading students is one of the main, um, banner that I would stick with as far as my hopes for student ministry, um, that we want to equip and, and get students to a point to where they are the ones leading, not just in a, a core team per se, but they're planning events, they're doing the speaking, they're, they're. They're serving within the ministry. They're serving within the church, um, and they're and they're impacting the outside community as well in their schools and their friendships and their relationships. I think if that is established inwardly in the church, it will flow outwardly into the community. It's just having those opportunities to happen. But first, um, it really has to to start with. Do you know? The story? Do you know his story? Has it impacted your story yet? And really seeing and establishing who God is in their life first. And so the three things that we stick with is knowing, loving God, loving others, and serving. Because yeah. when students, sadly, when it comes to God, when you have conversations with some of them, they don't see the point. Mm-hmm. They don't see the point of going to church anymore. They don't see the point in having a relationship with God it's not talked about it's not lived out and so even in conversations we've had with students here we are starting to to really uncover what it looks like to be a Christian to live like Christ what that decision is what the gospel what the good news is and so for us if we can establish that relationship with Christ and and truly help students uncover and discover the love of Jesus. Then it's discipling and equipping them and building them up in fellowship, in discipleship, in worship, and really helping them grow so that they can be more ministry minded and putting faith into action.
1: Right. I love that. That that creates that that lasting change that it's not just something to come hang out on a Wednesday night with your friends app, but something that actually creates sustainable change for them as they go throughout middle school, high school, and then beyond. Um, one question I wanted to ask you, Patrick, is we're coming up on what would have been about a year ago that we would have been doing the interview process and you coming out here to Hayes to visit and, and talk with our, our staff and with Pastor Brant and I. Um, and then you're coming up on a year anniversary with with your wife, Molly. Right. Um just talk a little bit and, and tell our, our church, um, what is it that when, when you and Molly began to look for where your next phase of life would be, what is it that coming out here a year ago, um, made you and Molly say, this is it, this is where we want to be. We want to be at celebration. We want to be in haze. We want to grow roots here. We want to start our life together here.
2: That's a great question. Um, Last year in January, really, um, just began to feel a, a burden again, and it was similar to the one when I was leaving music to go into ministry, and it was just, it was something that Molly and I had been in a relationship, and we were going, and, and I told her, I said, I just, I feel this this heaviness again that i Similar to when I left music, and I, I don't know what it means. I don't know. And we just began praying and, and really started to uncover that. It just felt, it, it, it just began to feel so strongly that my time in El Dorado, which is north of Wichita, the church I, I came to um, over five years ago that it was coming to an end. And I didn't speak on it. I didn't talk to really very many people about it. But I just told Molly, I said, this is just something that it just feels like there's change coming. And so we just, we really just kept praying through it. And what type of change was going to happen. I didn't know if it was going back to Texas. I didn't know if it was change regarding her and I, um, as far as getting married, but I just, I felt like change was coming. And, and like I said, it, it began to become uncovered that it was more towards a change of location of, of where I was serving. And the pastor that had brought me to Kansas, um, and I don't know if y'all want to revisit that in a bit, but of how I got to Kansas. But he brought me while I was in in seminary and had just mentored me. And he had actually spent time in Texas as well, which was another weird thing that, and coincidence of of affirmation. But he had shared around May that hey, I'm I'm going to be stepping away. He had served over thirty five years at this church. And he was just fully confident that it was his that his time was up and knowing that okay, maybe this is the change he's talking about maybe maybe this is the change God is laying on my heart. Well, after he shared it, it just wasn't going away. It was even becoming more heavy and around the summertime I had had a conversation with Molly's dad about proposing and just had this full confidence that she was the one and that God had really just placed her in my life not only at the right time but for the right reasons Mm -hmm. and that she was going to be the person I would spend my life with so proposed we celebrated that in the summertime and yet the change was not going away so school year started last year in the fall of 2019 and it was becoming almost where taking breath was even more difficult. I didn't I didn't know where to turn, I didn't know what to do until I'd had a conversation with a buddy who had actually done ministry in Newton, who was now living in Louisiana, and saying, Well maybe maybe it's time to just be open to to just looking elsewhere. I said, What do you mean? He said he said you don't have to say yes to to the opportunities but maybe maybe God's trying to tell you hey this is something this is something that you need to be open to and somewhere that may need you and I started realizing when I was after that conversation that it was more so not only that Molly and I were getting married but the more of the desire for us to be somewhere that we could be long term was something that we had said in the beginning we wanted to really have and things at the church that we were previously at was was not gonna pro- be able to provide that not just because of finances but just other reasons they just didn't have the the committee and the leadership to be able to continue on in that format so I really took a step in in, in faith and just said okay I'm gonna I'm gonna put put up my um my credentials my my my, my resume just my story just I used this this pasture hiring website and just began to pray and say okay God here it is and one thing for me that I wrestled with is are we gonna be in Texas or are we gonna be in Kansas that was two areas that we were just praying saying God this is where we'd like to be. More so just because of Molly's health reasons and and just wanting to be close to some family in some way. And I just started feeling more so. The selfish side of me wanted Texas, but the re, the realistic side of me felt like it was going to be more of Kansas. And I was okay with that. Didn't know why, but I was okay with it. So we start start praying start looking and we put up the the resume and stuff and I see something come up for Hayes um, Kansas and and submitted an application pretty quickly from the time that y'all had yeah. put up the position um,
1: you I think you were one of the very first people that we had submit something.
2: And it just was like, hey, I didn't know anything about the town. I didn't even know that it was actually a town um, in Kansas. <laughs> I didn't really know a lot about towns in Kansas, but I was like, hey, is Kansas where where's that? Selfishly I was like, is it near Kansas City? Is it near is it near Wichita? Is it near <laughs> nope, Topeka? Nope. Nope. No, it's in western <laughs> Kansas where there's literally nothing. <laughs> okay. It's
0: near a Milo field. <laughs> is that better? Yeah.
2: <laughs> that that was the selling point for me. <laughs> That's right. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> but putting putting that 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 application in, I just I felt you know like when you 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 write down something that you are like when you were a kid and you were wanting something for your birthday or whatever and you were just like, "Man, I just really hope that I get this or hope this is I didn't know it until really reflecting on it back in right when COVID hit. But um, I was like, man, I remember that feeling of submitting the application. Like, man, this would be an awesome, awesome opportunity, though, from seeing the little bit of, about who you guys were and, and your beliefs on the church website, just to seeing the some of the posts and some of the Facebook stuff. I was like, man, these just seem like genuine authentic people and I just I felt excited about it and, and just from the time of having that 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 response and saying hey we'd love to to just talk with you I was just excited mm. and just feeling more feeling more assurance about the future and feeling more I guess affirmed in, in what I'd been feeling since January, like, hey, this is good. This is okay. This is something that I'm leading you into, you know. And so I'd had conversations leading up to um, actually right after our interview that, that I, I f- honestly felt like I was like, crap, I bombed that. Like, <laughs> like just because we couldn't get the – We were in in the conference room, and I remember, like, the shiftiness. Like, they were trying to get it to where I was one way, and then they were one way, and so.
1: That's right. We had some, like, technical problems with the interview, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, on Zoom.
2: And so, Brant, Derek, and Damien. And Damien's, like, the most intimidating person. Like, he's just sitting there, like, like this. And I I, I told Damien this after I got Got on on staff. I was like, dude, I didn't think we were gonna be friends. Like, I thought you were a tool. <laughs> I told I told him this. I was like, he's like, what? I was like, man, I looked you up and and I was like, man, this guy, I just don't think we're gonna get along. <laughs> and, and I told him I said I couldn't have been more wrong, and I'm glad because he's like one of my favorite people. But um just having that interview, I was like, man, I just. I remember feeling so nervous and so just excited at the same time and having the conversation with, with Brent and Derek and Damian, just, it really just assured me that what my heart's desire was for ministry, what my, what had been my focus and, and the things that drove me in ministry was also a part of their hearts and what they were searching for and and continuing to to press into and to establish here. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of it. Awesome. And it was it was something that I walked away from just hopeful, inspired, and just really motivated to to say, "Hey, God, if this is if this is your plan, I'm I'm in." Mm-hmm. And so going out of that interview we we set up a time to, to come to Hayes and it was actually the weekend after we had just done a D now for our kids in El Dorado. So it was recovering, but Molly and I were driving down and I just remember we were we were past Slina and I just began to pray and, and just having a time of worship just saying, God, this this is this is by you, for you. And I just remember praying. I said, "God, if it's not meant to be, shut the door. But if it's if it's your will, if this is where you're calling us to be, not for a season, but to really plant roots, to do what you've called of us, affirm us without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Not just in my heart, but Molly's. And so, in that weekend, what transpired is what we saw was community." We saw, we saw a realness of, of a staff that, that authentically loves, not just from the platform, but putting boots to the ground and saying, hey, we truly love one another on staff and support and encourage each other, but we also love our church body and, and meet them where they're at. And also... Just hearing how the community responds to celebration, to know that they they know where we where this church stands on beliefs and in their hearts for the city. Mm-hmm. So for us, we saw that from going to Fall Fest at PB's house, where it was crazy and <laughs> and having the fire pit and. The thunderstorm's all around, and I'm wondering if there's a tornado because I hate tornadoes, <laughs> and, and I still wonder why God brought me to Kansas for that reason. <laughs> but it was something that by Sunday morning, we, we we can remember leaving Pee-wee's house, and the sun was just coming up, and we we're going to the first service. And Molly and I looked at each other and said, this is where we want to be. And they hadn't offered us the position. They hadn't talked with us yet about what they were they were thinking or where they stood. But we looked at each other and said, "This is this is where we want to be." Yeah. And, and it's crazy because going into it, we're like, I don't know if this is where God is calling us, but seeing his his faithfulness just to answer that, that that simple prayer of God if it's if it's from you and it's for you just make it clear mm-hmm. and and for us we knew going into Sunday before church even started hey this is this is where we want to be this is where we want to raise our family this is where we want to be to see students grow up and and to to connect with them and love them and help them grow you know, we could see students like Alicia's kids or Derek's kids growing up and, and being a part of our youth ministry and seeing them graduate. You know, that's that's the full measure of the confidence we had of, hey, this is where we want to be, not for just a year, not for just a season, not just for a moving step, yeah. but this is a family we want to be a part of for years to come.
1: I think it's so, so beautiful to see that happen and, and to hear that from your side of things. And to know how God was orchestrating everything, because as you guys are having that conversation on Sunday morning, Pastor Brandt and I are communicating with our board, and we're saying like this is this is it like this is the this is the couple that we need for our church like God was making it so clear to you guys he was making it so clear to the leadership here at the church um and and everything just works so well, like it's very uncommon for a church going through a hiring process and putting out, you know, basically a nationwide search for someone to have that be such a simple process. It's very difficult for someone to be applying places and put their resume out there and do all that and have that be such a easy process in in hindsight. And I think the only reason it's that easy is because it's exactly what God had designed and, and, and ordained. And so what a blessing for you guys. And you guys have been such a huge blessing to our church. And so I'm 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 thrilled,
0: Patrick.
2: Thanks. Thanks, Derek. And your <laughs> and your love of the Cowboys and yeah. and Pastor Brand as well. But
0: there always has to be a proverbial chink in the armor, you know? And that love of the Cowboys is probably yours. <laughs> and as Cowboys
1: fans, we probably would agree right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I I remember one thing, and I'll never forget this, but one thing that was spoken in our conversation leading up to saying, hey Um, We want you and Molly to be here was the fact that either I think it was PB and and you kind of talking back and forth with us saying how uncommon this was to go outside of of the church and the community to say, hey, this is who we want for our staff, because you speak of like how God brought it all together, saying not only putting the position out there, but where you were and all this stuff—how how much it was God-affirming? Because y'all y'all had spoken of just even for for the church itself, it was something of hire, hiring mostly inward, right. you know, equipping inward, and just bringing someone out from from somewhere beyond yeah. was not common as far as the mindset or or the, right. most, the structure most of, of our, it.
1: Most of our our staff is what we call homegrown, right? And um, but but this was just one where we felt God calling us to do something a little different, and and then like I said, that process being as as simple and as clear as it was was a huge blessing for us,
2: right? And that was something that I was just like, man, like again, this is something that only God could do. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it on my own, vice yeah, versa.
0: Just to kind of close, Pat in 5 years what does the the youth ministry look like if if everything goes according to plan i almost say that i, I don't mean it in jest because this year is like the nothing. case study on nothing right? going to plan <laughs> yeah but i do mean it just to hear your heart for yeah. for the students
2: my my 5 year plan my hope my my true prayer for this ministry is to see students that are being introduced to the gospel in junior high and and in high school that are coming weekly from being invited by core students who are discipled and trained to share the gospel with their friends, with their family, to have a student core team that are planning events, planning um, sermons planning worship services who are truly serving within the ministry, whether it's on the worship team, whether it's in the Geordie C. Cafe team, whether it's um, speaking, whether it's in the sound booth, the welcome area, to see students, leading students first and foremost. Secondly, to have a group of volunteers that are not just year to year, to have volunteers who are consistent and truly pouring in to students each year. Um, the difficulty in the past has been um, having people that could commit. So our prayer is that we'll have a team of people that can stick around each year to, to truly pour in to the students that they can rely on. Because one of the biggest things with students is trust. So have a volunteer team that is is truly equipping and training and leading well. Um, and then lastly, partnering with parents because it's so important that the few hours we get with the students a week is being affirmed yeah. and, and, and even more so taught from the home perspective and, and being equipped and, and, and put into action in the home. If we can partner with parents well, we'll see more student. Um, not just empowerment, but but see more student involvement because of what they're hearing on Wednesday nights is being utilized in the home throughout the other days of the week. And so if we can partner with parents well and have them on board to not only come beside us and, and use and equip from the stuff we're doing, but also use what God has given us in his word, then we'll start to see more of the passion and the deep-rootedness of, of core ministry activated in these students. I love that. That's
0: great. Well, Pat, it was a pleasure to talk to you, just to hear your story. I know that uh, we really enjoy having you on staff and uh, can't wait to see what you
2: bring to the ministry. Thanks, guys. It means a lot.